0: Very early on, who was going to win that game? And they were Alabama was just a machine, and so it really wasn't that bad, you know. I, I took it in stride and, and uh, had fun uh, with with uh, uh, my son. And Bill Bloom invited me over to his home, which is, is uh, really was fun. So anyway, uh, we we will wait till next year, right? But. Your brownies on the other hand uh, did uh, did some amazing stuff last weekend, and uh, who knows today, so a lot of you are praying for that so good good uh, luck there hey um. I just wanted to say thank you to Tom. Uh, Tom and Wendy are such a treasure to our church, and Tom leads with such grace and wisdom. Uh, You know, again, we were together on Thursday evening as a board of elders, and we talk about a lot of things, but I am just so grateful to partner with him in ministry one of the things that uh, we, we want to do every once in a while, we take a, a moment, about once a month, just for those who may be coming into the church or uh, uh, unaware of, uh, to just talk a little bit about our, our policy regarding masks. I know this is an issue that maybe you get tired of hearing about, but it's important we talk about from, one, from time to time. And basically, it's this right now. If you're walking around the building, we ask that you wear a mask uh, uh, that's out of respect for each other and one another. Uh, it, it's just a, a way that we try to, to demonstrate that. If you uh, once you've come into the sanctuary and you're seated and you are in a socially distant. Uh, Way, uh, then, then please feel free to take that mask off if you're so inclined. If not, that's that's okay too. If you stand up and you're singing, we think it's probably, uh, according to to what we've heard, uh, the best to go ahead and wear that mask again. But again, uh, we're looking and uh, longing for that day when we will all with unveiled faces be able to uh, just uh, enjoy the very presence of God. That day is coming, I believe, with all my heart, but uh, we're not quite there yet. So thank you for your help, your participation in that. And we, we really do uh, understand, by the way, if, you, if a mask causes you distress physically, uh, you know, you're under no, con- you know, uh, no condemnation, if that's the word you want to use. If you just aren't able to wear one at this point, that's, that's, that's all right. But uh, we leave that up to you. We know that uh, you're a part of our community as well. Let's, uh, let's go to prayer this morning. I've got some things that the Lord has laid on my heart. I've been excited. I haven't been able to preach for a while, so you guys sit back. We're going to be here for a while, okay? Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we come into your presence, into your presence with thanksgiving. Because through Jesus Christ, we know your heart and your love for us. You have called us your children because by faith we have been born again. And we've gained access because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. In these days, may this place be fertile ground for your word, to produce a harvest of faith, life, goodness, peace, and joy. There is so much around us that is hard and disappointing and frustrating. But then we consider you, and our lives are put in perspective. May we be your ambassadors In our own nation, Lord, we pray against lies and violence. We pray for our incoming president, Joe Biden. Lord, there are significant areas where we may disagree, but I pray that God, you would give him wisdom to do the right, that you would allow him to know your spirit. May we in the church, in those areas where we disagree, be able to persuade And convince through our testimony, our grace. Not through anger and disruption, but through love and kindness. May we see your kingdom come in ways that honor your kingdom. I pray, Lord, you would help us to seek your face. And in this place, give us soft hearts, listening ears, willing spirits, And Lord, ease our anxieties and our tensions. We continue to pray for those who are impacted by this virus. We think of Dave Swartz this morning and Daryl Jett. I pray for Linda Wyant. I pray for Scott Barlow, who donated a portion of his liver to his father-in-law this very week. Oh Lord, we pray that this transfer will have been successful and heal both of them through your mighty power. Lord, give us grace in this hour. May each person here recognize the wonder of your love and give us humility that we might befriend those who have no friends because we are united with you. May we be stable anchors of truth, integrity, and purpose. We pray these things through Jesus, our Lord. Okay, well, let's turn, if you will, to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 3. I'm going to just launch with a couple of verses here, beginning with verse 19. Peter is preaching. I'll invite you to stand as we receive this word together. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, as we begin. Again, the apostle Peter is preaching preaching, and he says these words. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. May God that is his blessing do that word. Please be seated. Now, I want to take you back just before this, prior to this, the day day when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, Peter burst forth out of those doors and he begins to preach. And the Bible says when the people heard his words, they, they heard his preaching, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied with these words, he said, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. The next chapter, Peter is speaking again. He tells those who are listening, repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This morning, I want to begin to focus on that promise. Times of refreshing. Boy, doesn't that sound good to you? Are you in need of a time of refreshment? Does anyone listening to my voice this morning say, I could use some refreshment in my life? because the truth is, I know I could. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm tired of COVID. I'm tired of masks. I suspect many of you are too. I'm tired of politics and arguments about who won the election and who is right and who is wrong. I'm tired of debates about vaccines and whether we should meet or not meet or how many should meet in a particular room. I need refreshed. And maybe you do too. But but here's the thing. How do we get there? How do we find ourselves in a season of refreshment? And the answer surprised me. It's not what I thought. For us to receive refreshment from God, we must repent. We must repent. Now, hold on. I know that's a hard word. And yet... The truth is, Jesus uses it often. In Mark's gospel, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, he begins it this way. The Bible says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says, The time has come. Think about that. What time is it? It's a time of refreshing. It's time, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's time to repent. And it occurs to me, you know, we just don't use this word very often in church anymore. And maybe that's why we're so tired. Maybe that's why we're so frustrated. So disappointed. And so over the next few weeks, I want to talk with you about repentance. Because I know this church, your pastor, and our nation... (laughs) needs a time of refreshing now as we wade into these waters it occurs to me that announcing a series of messages on repentance quite possibly triggers all kinds of reactions Jeff the truth is if you want people to start coming back to church and boy do I ever that maybe announcing that you're going to spend the next few weeks talking about repentance might not be the best strategy to get them there amen (laughs) When we think about preachers preaching about repentance, we see the preacher standing in the pulpit, wagging his finger, raising his voice, preaching hellfire and damnation. We see people beating themselves up, and that's not a particularly great way or motivation to, to get people to come to church. Pastor, I feel bad enough about myself already. I really don't need to go there, thank you. So part of my challenge today is to redirect your thinking about what repentance looks like and means to each of us in this room. Some time ago, I heard a transformative teaching by Pastor Colin Smith, and I'm going to lean heavily on what I learned and some of his ideas there. But this is is what I want to share. This is what I want us to know. When Jesus spoke of repentance, he coupled that with good news, the gospel. When Peter speaks of repentance, he attached that to a time of refreshing. You see, that hardly sounds like a negative to me. So the first thing I want you to take away this morning is to know that repentance is a positive. It's a positive thing. I think I shared with you, uh, but one night uh, before Christmas, I was driving home, and the thought suddenly occurred to me, when do they celebrate Christmas in heaven? When When do they go all out with their celebrations in heaven? And then I realized I had my answer in Luke 15. Jesus said, the angels throw a party in heaven every time a sinner repents. Every time a person repents, repentance then brings celebration. It brings refreshment and joy. And unless the angels in heaven enjoy human misery, and they don't, otherwise they'd be devils. If Jesus says there is joy in heaven, then clearly he's talking about something very different from beating up on yourself. So the biblical understanding of repentance is actually very positive. What we know is it's not simply an odyssey of self recrimination and regret. Repentance is affiliated with joy, celebration, refreshment. If there's joy in heaven, I guarantee you there's joy for you. You have to think about the story of the prodigal son. You know that story. There you have a son who has decided to take his inheritance. He- Goes to a distant country. He wastes it all on riotous living. And as you know, eventually the bottom falls out of his life. And he ends up just trying to survive. He's working with a farmer. He's eating slop with swine. And then the Bible says suddenly he comes to his senses. And he makes a determination. Maybe I could just go back to my father. And so he turns around and he heads home. And then Jesus says, as he was heading home, just as he's about to reach there, he sees a distant figure running toward him. And you remember who that figure is. It was his father who had been waiting for him and watching for him every day. And instead of piling on shame, the father hugs him and will not stop kissing him, and puts a ring on his finger and a robe over his body, and they have a party killing the fatted calf. We see that the father is filled with joy, and if he is filled with joy, then we know that the son had joy too. Now, the son may have been embarrassed; he he may have felt foolish. And unworthy, but the picture is he was transformed. He was naked in rags, and now he's wearing a, a beautiful robe. He was he was a servant, but now he's a son. He was eating with pigs, and now he's dining on stage repentance means transformation it is good news it is the door to refreshment and joy in our lives and so in your mind begin to shape it to understand that to repent is to open the door to a new depth of knowing the Father and so when it comes to repentance we need to stop thinking misery and instead start thinking joy But there's a second misunderstanding that I think we should address that will maybe hinder our reception of these messages, and that is this. When we hear the word repentance, many of us in this room will think, been there, done that. Been there, done that. How many of us think, when I talk about repentance, we immediately begin to think about that moment in our lives when we realized we were sinners, We confessed we needed a Savior. We received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing. You were born again. You were made a new creation in that moment. I did that when I was five years old in a Sunday school class. Maybe you did it at an altar. Maybe you raised your hand during a prayer. Maybe you filled out a commitment card. No matter how you did it, it was real to you. It made a difference it may have been months ago or years ago, but you're a sinner saved by Christ. And praise the Lord for that. So when we hear the word repent, we say, yeah, I did that some time ago. But here's the thing. When you made a commitment to Jesus Christ, how long is that commitment for? Well, that commitment wasn't just for that moment. It, it's a lifetime and when you said, I believe in Jesus Christ, when, when does that belief stop? Well, it doesn't. It, it's to continue. I believe in him now. I believe in him today. I will believe in him tomorrow. It is a continuing faith. Well, I believe that the same thing can be said of our repentance. How long is repenting for? It's for a lifetime. It's, it's, it's continuing to live in an attitude of repentance. When Jesus calls us to repent, He calls for our entire lives to be transformed over a season to be different. Now now again, this is not, "I'm going to beat up myself for the rest of my life," kind of a deal. No, not at all. What the Bible calls us to is an entire life of continuing to change, a process. So there are going to be edges and parts that that God wants to shape. and Maybe he dealt with this at one point in my life, but now he wants to deal with another area. He wants to align my life with Jesus. Repentance then is not only positive, my friends, but it's also a process. It's a process. I need to have an attitude of repentance right now. So a lot of us this morning have to push out this idea that we did that, Pastor, we're good, we're in. Listen, God has so much more for us than the fact that we said a sinner's prayer maybe years ago. And we receive the Holy Spirit, he wants to fashion in us an ability to become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And don't be surprised if that takes time. The work is not finished in you yet. J.I. Packer offers what I think is a rather interesting definition of repentance, and I hope that you're going to find it helpful. It took me a while when I, had, when I read it to kind of ascertain what it meant, so it may take you some time, but I want to introduce it to you here, and we'll probably come back to this again. But he defines repentance this way... He says that repentance is turning from a, f- away from as much as you know of your sin to give as much of, as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. Now, again, take a moment here and just kind of take that in. Repentance is turning from as much as you know of your sin To give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. In other words, so as the Holy Spirit begins to shine the light of truth to his word into your life, you will go on seeing more and more of yourself, which by understanding more and more of God, you're going to want to surrender more and more of yourself to him. So we should never be surprised that as Christians, we will, ever become con- that we will ever become more conscious of things in our life that God wants to deal with. And the truth is, sometimes that can be alarming. Man, I, I, I'm still not figured this out yet. I'm still working on this. Am I really making any progress? And yet the truth is, if God in his goodness has shined a spotlight on an area of your life, we need to take that as a good thing, as a positive thing. It's a sign of growth. You are being sanctified, becoming more conformed to the image of Jesus. You know, when I became a Christian at the age of five, I was convinced I'd give my whole life to Christ. But when I discovered now that I'm 50-something, there are still parts of me that haven't figured out that Jesus Christ is Lord and still need to be submitted to him. And he has to change certain attitudes, and he has to deal with certain perspectives. There are new levels that God wants me to take in terms of my holiness and my submission to him. And the truth is, as I get to know God more, the more I want to become more like him. So we begin here with this idea, repentance is positive, it's a good, and refreshment in life comes in repentance, but we also know that repentance is a process, it's progressive. And as you have a fuller understanding of your sin and of yourself and of your God, God will continue to change you. But there's a third truth we need to understand this morning. Repentance is also possible by the grace of God. And that's where we come to Hebrews 12. And I believe this is really very key. Because the truth is, for some of us here this morning, when we hear the word repentance, we feel a sense of sadness, we feel defeated. You come into church and you hear okay we're going to focus on repentance now and you think oh dear here we go again i already know i can't change And, and you believe that you feel that very deeply you tried to get free but there are certain sins a certain area that have taken deep root in your life You would like to repent, you would like to change, but you are convinced that it has been so much, so long, it's always going to be that way. And it's just not possible for you. And so when you hear the word repentance, you say in your head, I would if I could, but I can't. And so you feel trapped and defeated and less than. And with that comes regret and disappointment and maybe some bitterness and resentment too. In Hebrews 12, we have a very sad story of Esau and the fascinating statement that is made about him here Let's just listen to this writer when he writes, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. That's a pretty remarkable statement there. You remember the Old Testament story, perhaps, of Esau and his brother Jacob. Esau was the firstborn, and by right should have been able to receive the inheritance of his father. But as you know, Esau was rather an impulsive man. And one day he goes out hunting, he gets desperately hungry, and his brother Jacob is home cooking some stew. But Jacob was a shyster until God got a hold of him, and He says to his brother Esau, I'll give you some stew. The only price will be you sell me your birthright. And Esau is stupid, impulsive, and desperate. And the deal was made. Later, when Isaac, his father, is about to die, Jacob pulled another stunt. He pretends to be Esau. You remember the hairy arms and all of that. And he receives the blessing that was supposed to be given to his older brother Esau. Esau comes in later and finds that the blessing has already been given away. And Genesis tells us that when Esau heard this, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. Esau weeps. Hebrews tells us that what he wanted, he wanted to inherit the blessing he He wanted to inherit the blessing, but he was rejected. The New American Standard here says he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. The ESV says he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Listen, this is what's amazing about Esau. He wanted to repent, but he couldn't. He could not change what he had done, and he could not change what he had become. There was no place for repentance. Now, now this is what I want you to see. He had plenty of tears. Esau had plenty of regrets. But nothing could change his heart or his mind. Now, you look at that, you'll see that he beat himself up. He couldn't believe how stupid he had been. He couldn't believe what he had done. And again, repentance is not beating yourself up. It's not simply feeling sorry for yourself or sorry for what has happened. If that was the case, Esau would have been fine. But Esau could not repent. Wow. Now, why is that relevant to you and me? Because there are some who say, well, pastor, I can't change. Be careful because you're identifying yourself with Esau. You're saying, I'm with him. I might have tears. I might have regrets, but I can't change. I want to declare this morning that not only is repentance positive and a process, but it is possible too. But the obvious question is, well, why couldn't Esau repent? Why couldn't he change? And if you look carefully at the Hebrew passage, I think you begin to see that there's an answer. In fact, I think there might be two in this passage, maybe more. But first notice that Esau is described as immoral and godless. That immoral has, has sexual overtones. There's a, it's regards to sexual in At its heart, it is a suggestion that this longing that we all have for intimacy with God, he was trying to satisfy with a desire, or, or to satisfy that desire with something else, something cheap. Sexual immorality, then, was an indicator of his godlessness. In other words, Esau was godless. He, he made no room for God in his life. Esau, his, his problem was he was only concerned about God as, as if God could bless him. God, if you bless me, we're fine, but I want your blessing. I don't really care if I get you. It's kind of like the person who, who goes to the, you know, the lottery machine and prays, God, give me the lottery, but that's the extent of their relationship with him. They want a blessing, sure, but they want nothing to do with God. Esau was godless. He had no desire to know God. There was no room for God in his life, and so Esau was a godless man. But there's something else, too. Before I get there, let me just say this, because this is what we discovered then, that, that real change begins not with repentance, but with seeking God. And friends, this is so key. If if you don't pursue God, if you don't look for God, if you don't make room for God, then you will not be able to repent. You see, repentance is never the goal. The goal is a relationship with God. God will take you where you need to be. Now, the reason this is so important is I think Hebrews gives us another indicator in verse 15. He says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. See to it that no one misses grace. Now remember, this is a community that the Hebrew writer is writing to. He says, Make sure that no one ends up like Esau where this bitter root grows up within him by missing the grace of God. Esau was a godless man who missed grace. You see, if, when, when, when you come close to God, you get grace. Without grace, you can't repent. You can feel bad, you can cry, you can have regrets, you can be upset. But you cannot repent without God's grace And the only way I can experience God's grace, his His gift, his love, his mercy, his power, is to draw near to him. And so in order to repent, I have to draw near to God. And I have to embrace then the grace that he offers through Jesus Christ. Remember, grace is a gift. By drawing near to God, he pours it out into my life. Something to be received And the way we receive grace is by faith, by believing him. Otherwise, you will be like Esau and end up bitter and resentful. In Acts chapter 5 verse 31, Peter is preaching again and he says this about Jesus. He says, God exalted him to be his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Notice here that Peter says, Jesus brings them to repentance. You see, wait a minute, I thought repentance is my responsibility, yes. But it is God's grace that leads you there. That's why David says in the Psalms, this is why he prays this, he says, search me, O God. And know my heart. He's drawn close to God and he says, See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Why does he pray like that? Because he knows he needs God in order to repent. Lord, show me my sins. Otherwise, I won't even know they're there. Lord, show me the way. Otherwise, there's no way I will find it. It is God's grace that makes repentance possible. And we receive that grace by faith. This morning, I want to ask you to do one thing. Make room for God. Be still and know that I am God. Consider his majesty. Consider what he did by sending Jesus Christ to this earth. You know, that's where repentance begins. Not with seeking to repent, but with seeking God. God, show me yourself, and surely I will know my sin. Repent then, Peter said, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know what you need more than refreshment? Do you know what you need more than repentance? You need him. As we close this service and his Pastor Jason is going to come and lead us. Let's just seek him. Would you bow your heads with me right now and let's just wait on his presence. Father, I just pray right now that we would see your glory. We would understand the mystery of your grace. Give us tender hearts toward you. So many of us are interested in your blessings, but haven't made room for you in our lives. Lord, let us expect that you will change us. And you will challenge us. Save us from this idea that we've arrived, that we've all figured it out. But continue that sanctifying work of making us more like Jesus. Help us to learn to pursue you. Search my heart, oh God. I know my heart today. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me to the path of everlasting life. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience. I pray that times of refreshing may come to our church. Here is where I lay it down Every burden, every crown this is my surrender, this is my surrender, here is where I lay it down, every lie and every